Chapter 16, favor with God or man. Galatians 1.10 Am I now seeking the favor of men or of God? Or am I striving to please men? If I was still trying to please men, I would not be a bondservant of Christ. For am I now seeking the favor of men or of God? Or am I striving to please men? To seek the favor of man is dangerous. I wonder how many of us do this without even realizing we do it. We subconsciously seek out the favor of our parents, our spouse, or our children. We seek out the favor of our friends and those we know. We seek out the favor of our peers or those who are in leadership above or below us. Maybe we seek out the favor of those who follow us as we want to be liked by them. No matter who it is or what it may be, to seek the favor of man and not God is a recipe for disaster, heartache, and hurt to all who are involved. People who seek the favor of man as opposed to the favor of God do it because you have not yet come into a knowledge of God that has set them free from this posture. This posture is actually a posture of bondage, which we may not even be aware of. One that not only keeps our very lives in chains, but also all those who favor we look for. The word seeking is an active word and one that describes a pursuit of something. The scriptures teach us we are to search for God with all our heart and we will find him. Deuteronomy 4.29 But from there you will seek the Lord your God and you will find him if you search for him with all your heart and all your soul. Matthew 6.33 teaches us to seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. Hebrews 11.6 teaches us that God is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. We are not taught to seek the favor of man and yet for many people this is exactly what we do. We seek to be affirmed, acknowledged, received, liked and accepted by man. And yet this is the very opposite to what Jesus teaches. This is a very fragile way of living our lives and we are ultimately handing the power of our lives into the hands of others instead of giving and entrusting our lives into the hands of our Creator. We see in John 2, 24-25 that Jesus would not entrust himself to man as he knew all men and what was in all men. The Bible says Jesus grew in favor and stature with God and man, but he did not seek the favor of man. These are very different realities. One may grow in favor with man, but that doesn't go seeking the favor of man. I have always found the order of Luke 2, 52 very telling. And Jesus kept increasing in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and men. As Jesus kept increasing in wisdom and stature, the natural outcome was to have favor with God and man. God first, man second. As we seek God first, things fall into place. It's when we seek man first that things fall apart. Who or what do we truly seek? It's only when we truly discover God, his kingdom and his righteousness that we will be free from seeking the favor of man. Man is not the first place we go to for anything we need. God is. Many followers would say, well, yes, of course, God is the first place we go to. But the reality is, how many of us actually do? How many of us look to man for our edification, our teaching, our knowledge, our encouragement, our support, our comfort, our guidance, and our provision. 
I think we like to think God is our first place option, when in reality, he becomes our second or may in fact not even register at all. Trying to please man is very draining, tiring and unsustainable. For the one person you please, the next person you upset. It's a never-ending journey trying to keep everyone happy. If Christ was concerned about keeping everyone happy and striving to please man, then he wouldn't have been able to be obedient to his father and his father's truth. He would have had to compromise himself and his father's truth to not offend people. Christ's intention was not to offend and neither is ours to be, but in speaking the father's truth from a position of love, we will offend the flesh just like Jesus did. Jesus offended the people so much in John 6 when he spoke about eating his flesh and drinking his blood that many of his disciples walked away from him and followed him no more. These were disciples of Jesus, those who said they wanted to become like him, and yet he wasn't attempting or striving to please them, but was passionate about sharing his father's truth with them. What about the rich young ruler? Jesus wasn't striving to please him when he spoke the truth to him about who his God really was and what truly had his heart. Because Jesus loved the young man, he spoke the truth to him in the hope that he would hear the truth and repent. Jesus was able to identify the true issue of the heart and he called it out. This in turn saw the young man walk away from life instead of walking into life. Jesus was never striving to please man and neither must we. There is only one person we strive to please and this is our Heavenly Father. If I was still trying to please men, I would not be a bondservant of Christ. Cut free from every physical relationship. Paul is saying that there is no way these two things can coexist. You fundamentally cannot be a bondservant of Christ if you are still striving to please man. The one will cancel out the other. One must be completely set apart from every physical relationship one has if they are to be a bondservant of Christ. Just like the umbilical cord that produces life from the placenta must be cut away from the baby if the baby is to truly be free, so must the umbilical cord be cut from every human relationship that prevents us from becoming true bondservants of Christ because we are still trying to please man and seek the affirmation of man. For us all to be truly be bondservants of Christ, we must be freed from one another through the power of the gospel and abide 100% in the vine. This doesn't mean we don't value the physical relationship we have with people, but we have been freed from the unhealthy power of them that would see us striving to please all of those we are in relationship with ahead of Christ. Jesus is our example of a bondservant. For us to grab the enormity of this reality, we must come to have a revealed knowledge of who and what a bondservant is. If we want to know who and what a bondservant is, we don't have too far to go in looking at Jesus for our example. Philippians 2, 3-9 Do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility of mind regarding one another as more important than yourselves. Do not merely look out for your own personal interests, but also for the interests of others. Have this attitude in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant, 
and being made in the likeness of men. Being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. For this reason also, God highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name which is above every name. This is a very specific attitude of being that bond servants have within them. It's an attitude that they carry within themselves and it shapes who they are and how they live their lives. What is this attitude that is in Christ and is in his bond servants? Bond servants don't think of themselves first or regard themselves as more important than others, but they always put others ahead of themselves and regard others as more important than themselves. Bond servants don't look after their own personal interests but are more concerned for the interests of others. This is the standard that bond servants live to and model. This is the attitude they have within them, as this was the attitude that was within Jesus Christ. A bond servant is to be like the bond servant, nothing more, nothing less. A disciple of Jesus is to be like Jesus and model the life Jesus modeled. This is the example Paul is for us. If we have not yet fallen on the rock and been broken into pieces, as Scripture teaches us, we will not be able to live this reality out, as we will not have the humility of mind to even think this is possible, never mind live this possibility out. To put others first and to think of others before we think of ourselves is not natural and is opposite to what self wants to do. How can we live this out unless selfish pride has fallen upon the rock and been broken into pieces. The scripture is very clear and absolute. Those who fall upon the rock will be broken to pieces. Luke 20, 18. Everyone who falls on that stone will be broken to pieces, but whoever it falls, it will scatter him like dust. Living as a bond servant is fully attainable. God promises a reality here that many are still to receive. Hence, living as bond servants who do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, regarding others ahead of their own and considering others more important than themselves, seems to be unattainable and not a real reality one could know. And yet it is fully possible in Christ, as this is the attitude of being that was in him. And as he was on this earth, we are to be. The key phrases in this passage in Philippians are emptied himself, and taking the form of a bondservant, and being made in the likeness of man. Remember who we are talking about here. We are talking about the Son of God, who was the exact representation of the Father, the one who all things have been created through and for, in which all things are held together. The Word who was God, and was with God in the beginning, emptied himself of his God attributes, and took on another form, being made like us all, the Son of Man. Why would Jesus become like us? To demonstrate to us as a man what is possible where one is filled, empowered, led, and in complete submission and surrender to one's Heavenly Father. Jesus became the model for us to imitate and follow as bond servants. We see men use this word bond servants at the start of their letters, and all these men certainly modeled this reality just as Christ did. 2 Peter 1, 1, Simon Peter, a bondservant and apostle of Jesus Christ. Philippians 1, 1, Paul and Timothy, bondservants of Christ Jesus. 
Revelation 1, 1. The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show to his bond servants the things which must soon take place, and he sent and communicated by his angel to his bond servant John. James 1, 1. James, a bond servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. Volunteer or bond servants. This is the challenge for everyone in the body of Christ today, to truly live out the life of a bond servant. We tend to use the word volunteer in the body of Christ today to describe servants, and yet this isn't the word that really describes a servant of God at all. Why is this the case? The reason is that a bond servant and a volunteer are as different as an elephant and a mouse. A bond servant is someone who sees serving God and people as a lifestyle that never ends, as opposed to a volunteer who tends to see serving as an option and the giving up of a particular amount of time to achieve a task. Being a bond servant is a lifestyle and a way of being. A bond servant knows it's an honor and a privilege to serve God and others without any conditions, as opposed to a volunteer who can tend to see their volunteering as a favor to God and man. We will all come to know if we carry the heart and attitude of a bond servant or a volunteer when we get treated like a slave. Our response to someone treating us like a slave will say so much about what posture we are living from. Slaves don't have any rights, and a bond servant of Christ has given up their rights. They consider themselves dead to self and in turn are able to love and serve in a manner that volunteers can never attain to. Luke 17, 7-10 is a perfect example of this. Which of you, having a slave plowing or tending sheep, will say to him when he comes in from the field, Come immediately and sit down to eat. But he will not say to him, Prepare something for me to eat, and properly clothe yourself and serve me while I eat and drink, and afterward you may eat and drink. He does not thank the slave because he did the things which were commanded, does he? So you too, when you do all the things which are commanded, you say, We are unworthy slaves. We have done only that which we ought to have done. A bond servant is someone who has counted the cost already in their following and serving of Jesus. And it isn't something that they struggle with because it is a settled issue in their heart. They have done what Jesus said when he taught people to count the cost before coming and following him. A volunteer carries the opposite heart posture. Cost is something they are always assessing and asking themselves if they are prepared to sacrifice their time, energy, skill, ability or resource in the area of service. They are always considering themselves first and putting their needs ahead of the needs of others and tend to agree to this act of service if there is some form of benefit to themselves in the process. This benefit can even be the feel-good factor they get from serving because, in essence, they are still serving themselves. The bond-servant posture has nothing to do with being a doormat for people or living in an absolute poverty of physical things, but everything to do with knowing who one is in Christ. Paul said he had learnt to live with a little, and he had learnt to live with much. This posture has nothing to do with what you have or don't have, but everything to do with who you are and who you know. There is a call that the bond servant hears, and they respond to this call with an urgency and expectation, which ultimately will be rewarded in the future kingdom. 
John 12, 26. If someone serves me, he must follow me. And where I am, there my servant will be also. If anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. The context for this is the example Jesus has given us of the losing of one's life to find the life we have been destined for. If Jesus never gave his life, then how could we ever find the life we have been called for? This life ends up with an incredible reward or prize for all those who have lived as bondservants. The promise is this, and where I am, there my servant will be also. The question we have to ask ourselves is where is Jesus right now? He is sitting at the right hand of the Father. What is the inherited promise that Jesus gives to all those who overcome the flesh, the world, and the adversary by faith in him? Revelation 3, 21-22 He who overcomes, I will grant to him to sit down with me on my throne, as I also overcame and sat down with my Father on his throne. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. For all those who live as bondservants, the Father will honor them with this very incredible prize. Just as John 12, 26 teaches, he honors them by giving them a place with the Son on the Son's throne. He allows the bondservant to sit with the Son because these bondservants are his bride and his bride will reign with him in the millennial reign. For us to receive this inheritance, we must follow Christ in every aspect and serve him alone never looking for the favor of man. This is what will have us receiving this promise. Revelation 22, 3-4 There will no longer be any curse, and the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in it, and his bondservants will serve him, they will see his face, and his name will be on their foreheads. I am not sure it gets any better than this. This is speaking of the bondservants forever position in the Father. It is essential we grasp that this promise is rewarded to all those who truly serve him and follow him, where he is leading and live out the commandments of God. A follower who is casual or uncommitted to Christ, unsurrendered, even though loved by God, will not receive this reward from their father. It is reserved for all those who live the life of a bondservant, which is the life we have all been called to live, a life worthy of the gospel. Matthew twenty two fourteen. For many are called, but few are chosen.